Great morning, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini, the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn, in the Office of Mission, Ministry, and Interfaith Dialogue at St. Francis College in beautiful Brooklyn, New York. My great pleasure to be back with you once again today. The purpose of our show, Thank God for Monday, is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, healing, and peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times. Motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you as how you utilize the information we provide today. Take full accountability for the decisions you make and a resulting outcome. And one of the goals of our show, thank God, for Monday is to introduce role models. Role models of people who take very bold steps in their work lives. This is a very special time, National Entrepreneurship Week, which this year is February 11 through 18. As such, we are honored today to have with us a very, very special guest. His name, is Dr. Michael Glauser. Mike serves as executive director of the Center for Entrepreneurship in the John N. Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University. He is also the director of the SEED, the Seed Poverty Alleviation Program, helping people literally around the world to improve their standard of living and benefit their communities through entrepreneurship. He is also the author of a very, very timely book, One People, One Planet, Six Universal Truths for Being Happy Together. Great morning and welcome to Thank God for Monday, Mike. Good morning, Brother Gregory. I'm very excited to speak with you this morning. Ah, uh, the honor is all ours. Kindly share from what city and state you are speaking from today, please. So I'm in Logan, Utah, which is in northern Utah at the base of the mountains. Uh, it was one degree yesterday, and today it's a balmy five degrees. Oh, and we my have goodness. Snow all over. So uh, it's really an awesome place to be. It's very beautiful. You've just made the Listers and me very, very jealous. It sounds like a slice of heaven, no doubt about that. Mike, sorry to say we've only got 30 minutes. We could spend hours talking about your incredible background, this wonderful book you've written. We're going to jump right into the deep end of the pool. What motivated you to write this great book? One people, one planet. Six universal truths for being happy together. So I've been concerned about two epidemics in the world right now. They've actually reached epidemic portion. One is referred to as the epidemic of despair. Uh, you probably know about 21% of the adults in the United States are suffering from some form of diagnosable mental or emotional illness. Oh. So anxiety, uh, depression, thoughts of suicide, actual suicides are up in every single age group in our country and throughout the world. So that's the first concern. Um, I work with college students and millennials in their first and second jobs. Uh, the second epidemic is referred to as the epidemic of incivility. There is more division, judging, biases, hatred, 
conflict in organizations than we've ever seen. And so these two epidemics, despair and incivility, have a huge impact on the satisfaction of our work in organizations and of our performance of organizations. And so I thought taking a good look at principles that might alleviate those two problems could really help us build more civil teams and organizations and communities. So that uh, was the, uh, the impetus behind the book. We are so blessed to have someone, Michael Burel, this morning on Thank God for Monday. Let's talk about these mental health challenges. What do you think are some of the causes of these mental health challenges we're facing? So obviously, mental health is a complicated uh, issue and problem, and there are many factors, but most of the experts that we have interviewed for this book, so these are psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, uh, you know, key influencers, everyone pretty much feels that the way we communicate and connect today in this new social media world is very different than it was a decade or so ago. So we have more connections than we've ever had before, but they're very superficial. We're more connected, but more isolated. So we don't have those really warm, wonderful friendships where we, uh, when I grew up, we had a gang of 10, we'd go out and play every night, play games together, and we'd go to lunch sure. together. We'd hang out at people's houses and we knew each other's parents. And we just had a real strong social support network and now the, the youth, high school, college age students, and even the older age groups, we just don't have as many close, intimate friendships where we talk a lot and balance out each, each other's thoughts and help each other through challenges and problems. So more connected in a superficial way, but more isolated. And that is uh, for sure one major cause of these epidemics we're experiencing. Also, it's, it's easier to be uncivil from a distance uh, when we're loosely connected superficially, it's easy to criticize and and spew hate, basically. It's hard to hate up close. It's easy to hate from a distance. This is so fascinating what you shared, because I can remember growing up in wonderful Clifton, New Jersey, and in particular during the summer, uh, we would play baseball together during the day, a big group of us, and then at night, basketball and then some of the nights we'd walk to the local Carvel or Dairy Queen. And you're right, just those wonderful relationships, certainly, uh, no doubt about that. And I still have many friends from Clifton, uh, even though I'm now in beautiful Brooklyn. And it's a real shame what's happening with social media. I'm not personally, the show is on social media, but I'm not personally, but I understand there's an awful lot of hate. and There's an awful lot of really angry speech. Uh, on social media and all of this, as you're saying, really contributes to these mental health challenges. Now, before you're very curious, are there some special sources you use, Mike, to obtain the six universal principles you're expounding in this book and teaching? Yeah, I wanted to cast a very broad net, Greg, and look at credible sources to see if there was a common set of practices that would help uh, improve our happiness and help improve our civility that maybe were proven over time. And so I looked at three sources and, and this was a fascinating research project for me. I first looked at the uh, writings of the founders of the great world religions, the largest world religions, 
I took uh, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism, which comprise about almost 80% of the world has been influenced by these cultures. Sure. Went to the original writings, um, you know, the Hindu writings uh, in the Vedas, the four Vedas, and the Mahabharata, and the, of course, the Bhagavad Gita. Then I went to the Pali Canon of Buddhism, and of course, the Christian scriptures and the Islamic scriptures, the Quran, the Hadith, and the Sunnah. And wow. I recognize many differences in the mysteries or the supernatural. Of, did we live before we were born? And do we live after we die? And what is the nature of God? I just focused on the more practical teachings of how human beings can be happy on the earth and how we can live civilly in communities. And I, I wrote down all those verses from this vast body of religious uh, uh, literature and found that they were all saying pretty much the same thing. Uh, in fact, these teachings are almost identical in these great works of literature. So my second then turn, I know a lot of people are bailing out of religion and some people don't have positive feelings about it. So I next turn to philosophy. What have the great renowned world philosophers said about happiness and civility? And then third, the most uh, what is perceived as a credible source for the younger generations is science. I looked at positive psychology to see if these topics have been studied and documented and vetted as having a real impact on our emotional health and our physical health. So religion, philosophy, and science, I combined those and found these six common practices that have been on the earth for thousands of years. Oh, that's amazing. I don't know about our listeners, but use the phrase positive psychology. I'm very sorry, uh, Mike. I'm not familiar with positive psychology. What is this field? How has it developed? So for decades, the field of psychology and research in psychology has been to look at mental and emotional illnesses and how we cure them. Uh, very seldom did anyone look at overall human wellness and happiness. And it was in 1998, uh, Martin Seligman was the president of the American Psychological Association, and he decided it was time to help the general population of women and men around the world and look at, are there some key principles to keep us from slipping into these mental and emotional illnesses that oh. can improve our overall mental and physical well-being? And so for about 20 years, there's been thousands of studies that have looked at these exact same philosophical and religious principles, and they have actually uh, developed a very large body of research on happiness and relationships and civility for the general population. And it's referred to as positive psychology. You can actually get degrees in positive psychology now. Wow, that is absolutely amazing. One thing to go back just a bit that really struck me as well, there are so many similarities. There's so much common ground among the various religions. One of the three pillars of the office that I'm in is interfaith dialogue. And so more and more and more I'm learning about other religions. And because here in Brooklyn, we just have a plethora of people of all faiths. And it's just so wonderful. But I'm really seeing more every day. And I'm curious, is this your experience as well, Mike, that many of the religions have a lot of commonality within them. Yeah, that's exactly what I found. Um, we have more in common and we have uh, uh, things that are not common between us. And if we can accept the practical teachings 
that have been around for thousands of years as tools to create greater happiness and a more positive earth life experience, greater civility in families and communities. Uh, and we focus on those, then it's really exciting to me that we see, hey, we're all in this uh, together. We have similar goals. We have similar teachings. Let's start practicing those. And let's let's not emphasize and dwell on the differences that cause a lot of the conflict and contention amongst faiths. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, no doubt about it. Now, I've got some bad news for you, Mike. I'm a recovering CPA. <laughs> so even though I don't practice anymore, sadly, a lot of that return on investment, bottom line mentality still pervades in me. So I've got to ask you this question. How do we know that these six principles actually make people happier? Were we actually able to measure this? Help us out, please. Yeah, well, they've been taught by religion and by philosophy and, and now science for more than 20 years has been studying these same principles. And the research is just absolutely overwhelming that these practices make a difference in real time in our actual uh, emotional makeup, our uh, mental chemistry, and that has an impact on our physiology. So practicing these things today will make today better. And we can document that. We'll be happier and healthier today. And if we practice these principles over a longer period of time, they become a more permanent part of our character. And we slowly start uh, developing more light and brightness in our lives as opposed to the darkness and the despair. For example, one, one of them is to just do good deeds daily, to, to wake up every morning and rather than think me, 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 you know, do I look okay? Am I dressed well? Am I going to say the right things? Uh, does so-and-so like me? We get up and say, hey, I'm going to try to add value today and find other people on this planet that it, they're sojourning with me through life and see if I can brighten their day through some maybe random acts of kindness and it's just that focus off ourselves and onto others throughout the day that does change our brain chemistry. It affects oh. cortisol and adrenaline and a lot of the chemicals that run through our brains and our bodies. And every one of the six principles will do that. The body of research is overwhelming that we're happier, we're healthier, we have better relationships, we enjoy life more, uh, we have fewer sick days. Uh, if we uh, practice the principles of happiness. So one of the keys for all of us is to take responsibility to manage our own happiness. And in organizations, if they pay attention to the whole individual, the happiness and health of the, the team members, those organizations have stronger cultures, which perform better. Uh, a stronger culture has a huge impact on recruiting, retention, employee satisfaction, and in organizational performance. And so to just start managing our happiness produces really positive results for all of us as individuals and for organizations. Uh, it seems like a win-win-win all the way around, no doubt about it. Now, in this great book of yours, you talk about Mel Torres, if I'm saying his name correct, H-U-M-B-L-E, Humble Program. Explain for the listeners and me, what is this Humble Program all about? So the first principle in the book is to give up the ego. And we've always thought of ego as being someone that's very proud, someone that's very uh, self-centered, uh, sure of themselves. 
And But ego has been defined through the religious and philosophical literature as the composite of all of our self-perceptions, everything we think about ourselves. So where did those come from? They usually have come from our early experiences, messages from parents and teachers and friends and the media. And we have these, what the Buddhist and Hindus call these illusionary or fabricated selves that are perceptions of who we are. And they're not really who we are and they're not really who we could become. And so shedding these feelings uh, of ourselves, self-importance or even self-loathing and looking at ourselves as works in progress is a healthy first step. And Mel Torrey is the founder and CEO of Automated Systems. It's a company that makes uh, robots for the military to defuse bombs and driverless cars for the ag- agricultural industry. And oh, wow. Industry. And so he's got hundreds of several hundred really, really smart uh, engineers with master's degrees and PhDs. And He's created this humble program. He believes being really, really humble and and shedding our feelings of self-importance and having honest dialogue where we respect each other and listen to each other and exchange ideas in a civil way is the foundation of all other characters, character traits. And so he found a way to measure humble or humility in the workplace, and he measures it regularly and continually reminds people that we all have value. We all have something to contribute. We need to listen to each other and respect each other's ideas to come up with the best positions in the organization. And he feels like that's been a real key to their success and to the joy of working there. His goal is to have people want to work there, whether they have to or not, whether they need money or not. Oh, wow. That is a beautiful, beautiful goal. No question about it. I think it's time, if it's okay with you, Mike, that we delve into a couple of principles, certainly. If I perceive correctly, one of them is refrain from judging others. Is that correct? Is that one? And share with us about it if it is, please. Yes. So we develop perceptions of other people in the same way we've developed these fabricated perceptions of ourselves. They're illusionary perceptions. And so what happens is people are very complicated. And our minds can't process all the information that we're being bombarded with. So we look at someone and we see very superficial cues. We see color, ethnicity, uh, race. We learn about religion, political affiliation. And then we we fill in all the missing pieces. We construct a complete personality for someone based on an observable uh, superficial cue. And these these are fabrications. And if we, and so we all have these biases, uh, you know, you might think oh, only only bad people have biases, but everybody has biases. It's not something mean or evil people. And they're based on our experiences and our limited perception. And if we can realize that we're a work in progress, our fellow human beings are works in progress, we can quit judging them. We can be open to learning more about them and their worldview. We just like people more. And when we like people more, we develop more relationships and better relationships. And relationships are the ultimate key to human happiness. It's not happiness is not something we go off and do by ourselves. It's <laughs> it, it occurs in the context of relationships. So if we can get rid of our biases and quit judging others, life becomes uh, happier and healthier, and our friendships become more rich, more meaningful. Oh, you said a mouthful there, no doubt about it, Mike. 
You alluded to this a little bit before, but I'd like to peel the onion and have you dive a little deeper, please, because we talked a little bit about the relationship between good deeds and happiness. Share with us much more, please, on this. Yeah, in the book, I I, I wanted the book to, to be an interesting, engaging, non-boring book. And so I collected many, many stories of people that were living in despair. And then I found really genuine happiness through living these principles. So the book has many stories of people that were pretty much self-absorbed each day. And then they started focusing on their team at work or their partner or just people generally and looking for ways to add value. And instead of worrying about themselves, they started thinking more and worrying about others. And uh, it just so many uh, stories and testimonials of how that has changed people's lives uh, from ex-convicts to people paralyzed in wheelchairs to women that have been rescued from the slave trade. It's oh the, focus on others. the focus on others is one of the greatest medicines we have for altering our mental state, which eventually alters our physical health as well. Wow. So just doing good deeds all throughout the day, looking for ways to, to smile, to shovel someone's walks, to carry some groceries, to give up a seat on the bus, to pay the toll uh, for the woman or man behind us in a line. Just, just looking for ways to just spread uh, goodwill and pay it forward. It's contagious. People that receive that then feel like they want to do some good. And it just makes our communities better. Oh. Wow, that is so, so Franciscan, so beautiful. Now, the next question is really important because it seems like more and more people have shared with me, and I know from my own life as well, that forgiveness, much more forgiveness is needed in the world. Why is forgiveness, Mike, such an important principle for happiness? Uh, there's been hundreds of studies done on anger, grudges, and forgiveness and the relationship to uh, happiness. And uh, the research is just overwhelming that if we hold anger and grudges, it hurts us. It poisons us. It's like drinking a poison and then waiting for the person we're mad at to die. Oh, and, wow. And when people learn to let go of anger and, and look at people's works in progress and cut people slack, just say, hey, I make mistakes, you make mistakes, I forgive you. One of the great analogies I use in the book came from uh, Buddha. And he said, there's three kinds of people with regard to anger. The first person's like a line etched in stone. It lasts for a long time. Mm. The next person's like a line etched in the dirt and it stays for a while, but then eventually dissipates. And the third type and the happiest person is like a line etched in water. It almost immediately goes away. And if we can, uh, and he, he taught that, you know, the concept of impermanence that we're changing constantly. And why would I judge you today when you can be different tomorrow? Why would I hold a permanent view of you because of something you did to me today when you can change and tomorrow be a, a new person and I can as well. So it's silly to hold on to any perceptions of other people or anger or grudges towards anyone else. That is so empowering because I think in my own life, I've made so many mistakes. And if people judged me based on some of my real bad moments, gee, that would be unfair. And likewise, I can't judge others. Maybe if they had a bad day, 
And I judged them and said, well, this is how they're going to be for the rest of their lives, certainly. So, wow, that really, really is uh, very, very empowering. No, no doubt about it. Sorry to say, believe it or not, time is running a little short. We've only got about seven minutes, but I've got some important questions, Mike, still to ask you. Now, this is also something that I'm very interested in. Is there a relationship between sharing our good, sharing our resources, and happiness? And if so, what's that relationship? This is another big one that was taught in the religious literature and the philosophical literature, and now has been, again, studied by uh, science. And it's interesting that if we if we love material possessions and start hoarding and collecting those, they become who we are. They they feed this illusionary self, this fabricated self that I am what I own. Oh. And, uh, and there is quite a bit of research that people that are really attached to material possessions uh, have a whole host of other issues, fear of losing those, greed, hoarding. Um, uh, a lack of willingness to share. And on the other side, people that are say, hey, I've got enough for my needs. I would like to share what I have and start minimalizing their lives and giving away things they don't need and, and giving away things they even do need because someone else needs them. That is related to a higher level of uh, emotional health and happiness. And, you know, none of the great religious founders taught that material possessions are wrong. It's just the love of material possessions and having them be a big part of who we are is what holds back our ability to feel greater joy and greater connection with people. You know, I, my wife and I uh, just remodeled our home and we had to move everything out, all the furniture and all, wow. the, all of our clothes. And when we were done, we started moving things back in and we decided we don't need or want all this stuff. And we gave away probably, I gave away probably 70 or 80% of the things in my closet. Oh if my I had, goodness. That's if I hadn't awesome. used it. If I hadn't used it for a year, it wasn't coming back in the house. And I can't tell you how much joy we've had in, in sharing what we have and having less clutter in our home and in our lives. It's just, uh, it's just really joyful to not be clinging to so many things. Oh, what a great lesson for the listeners and me. And I'm going to do that uh, very, very soon. I'm going to go through my closets and say, if I didn't use it in 2022, out the door. Because chances are someone else can use it. And I could see there would be a great freedom uh, in that. No doubt about that. Sorry to say, Mike, it seems like in our communities, whether it's Utah or New York, there are more and more of those who are poor. Why is caring for those who are poor important to our communities? So this is the sixth one, is to find someone in need and really befriend and help them through a crisis. It's, it's a subset of good deeds, but it's a longer term commitment. And the reality is, is that we're all connected. You know, the law of karma was taught by the great Eastern philosophers and religious founders, and it says we're all connected. And for every act, there's a, a reaction of kind, uh, likeness. And if we help those that are in need in our community, we're really helping ourselves. We're making the community, we're helping them, blessing their lives, but we're also helping our own happiness. There's a, a saying used in the rehabilitation programs that if person A helps person B, person A gets better. Wow. And so we are healed through helping others. 
And when they become healthier and stay more stable, they become contributing community members. And the people we work with around the world in our seed program that live in poverty, as soon as they start developing some resources, we, we help them rise, double their household income and rise out of poverty. They immediately start sharing with others in their community. And so as we raise people out of problems, it strengthens all of us individually and collectively. The economy improves, relationships improve. We feel a more of a connection to family and community. And uh, we all, everyone uh, has needs. I may not have big needs today, but I may have them tomorrow. And you may sure. have them right now, but not next week. And, uh, you know, it's not a matter of saying, I got to go find these really needy people. We all have needs to have support and mentoring and friendship. And so just being more mindful in the long run of people that we can individually help because of our unique backgrounds um, really just makes all of us better. Yeah, absolutely. No question about that. And even with my CPA mentality, you certainly convinced me these six principles impact the culture and performance of organizations, especially those entrepreneurial in nature, uh, in a very, very positive way. So how do you recommend our listeners and me celebrate National Entrepreneurship Week 2023? Is there maybe a tip for us? How can we this coming week really celebrate this wonderful National Entrepreneurship Week? Well, I would say if if one, some of your listeners are business owners, we used to give away free products and gifts to celebrate, the to thank our community for our success. And so to do something nice for your customers, if you're a business owner, if you're not a business owner, patronize small businesses in your area. Small businesses are the backbone of the economy. Uh, they produce almost half of the new jobs. They produce most of the new disruptive technologies. Wow. We need them to stay around. And so if you're a small business owner, do something for the community. If you're not, go do something for small businesses. Great, great advice. Thank you so much. Most important question we save for last, Mike, from where can our loyal listeners purchase One People, One Planet? How can they best follow you, please? So the book is for sale on Amazon and all the online retail bookstores. And our website is onepeopleoneplanet.com. They can find the book there and they can find our online training program and lots and lots of video content about these six principles and fabulous stories. OnePeopleOnePlanet.com. Oh, that's true. Listeners, no excuse. Mike has given you this website. There's a couple of ways to buy this book. Certainly, please go out and buy one for yourself. Buy one for someone else. As Mike said, it is in giving that we receive to doing for others. So this is the book that we need to share the good. Mike is a great Franciscan. He has shared the good today. He could have held it, but he shared it with us on this Saturday morning. Please do the same. Buy this book for yourself. Buy one or more for others. Share the good of one people, one planet, because we need for our workplace and our world to improve in 2023. And this book will go a long way to doing that. Dr. Michael, we can't thank you enough for being with us today. You've graced us with your expertise. You've inspired us even more. Continued success, joy, happiness, and all these continued endeavors that you're undertaking, especially in this world of entrepreneurship, and then certainly enjoy a great National Entrepreneurship Week 2020. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Listeners, guess what? 
Once again, we're out of time. Greg saying our hope and prayer is that when you wake up on Monday morning, just like Dr. Mike does, you'll say, thank God for Monday. Until next week's episode of our show. Have a great week, everyone. Bye-bye.